I don't believe in free speech. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I can't stand what they preach. I don't believe in free speech. So this week we watched Bad Vegan on Netflix, I think. Was it Netflix? It was Netflix. It's a Netflix documentary series. It's about five parts. Four, I Four think. parts, yeah. We watched all of them in basically one sitting like, yeah. with like maybe an hour or two break in between. So, yeah. So the background on this, which is very interesting and funny, is like I have kind of like a personal background with oh, this woman, you know? <laughs> Okay, so the first of all, the, the this is basically a documentary of Sarma um, Melangelis or whatever her name is. I always had a hard time pronouncing her last name. Um, but she was the yeah, she was like the the undisputed like raw food vegan queen. Yeah, like the raw you know. food guru of North of New York. Right, and so like in the early two thousands, because she she like you know, and she's like the the essence of like Uber like. Basically, like, if you're a pretty white lady, you can't go wrong, right? It's like that kind of thing. She comes from all kinds of money, even though the documentary never mentions that. Oh, we'll, we'll get back to that, yeah. I'm sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, but basically it's a story of she's like this, this you know, she's just like has it all and then just crumbles into just the most bizarre, the most bizarre downfall story you've ever heard. So it's a really interesting movie. Documentary. It's documentary. It's a very interesting documentary. Um, I, I had all of her cookbooks like in like 2010 i think i bought them that's when i discovered her and um because i was you know i was just like a lot of people i was like i need to start getting more of like a plant-based diet and now i've been a vegetarian for a long time but back then i wasn't and i definitely wanted to at least like i wasn't trying to become like a vegan like a you know i wasn't trying to become like a crazy vegan person or even a vegetarian but i was just trying to get more stuff. So these books are cool because they have like, you know, like all kinds of like cool, you know, really kind of sophisticated recipes for just fun stuff. And back then when they first came out, it was different too because there were all these recipes in the book like for how to make almond milk and things like that because it was totally different like 10 years ago. And now, of course, you can just go anywhere and you get like almond milk and oat milk and cashew, cashew milk, milk. <laughs> right? And, every, and cashew butter and almond butter. But like back then it was like buy a Vitamix and, you know, buy like 50 pounds of cashews and then, you know, um, so, yeah, so um, but I thought the book's really cool. And they have like um, very eye catching pictures of her on the f- cover, like drinking wine and taking a bite of something. In a seductive her. manner. Yeah, whatever. Right. So so the background is I was into Sarma and her cooking 10 years ago. You're super jealous of you were Sarma. You're into Sarma and her cooking? <laughs> Strike that. Reverse it. I was into the whole concept of the raw food thing. You're determined to be weird about the sarma. Well, I no, it that's was cool. just after you've said multiple times that you weren't. Well, anyway, um, I had no idea that all this stuff had happened because I bought like both of these books, never made anything never out of the books. Them. Like, like that's my story of my life. Never did anything. Um, you also had that book about making paninis that you bought. Uh, when we first started dating you texted me and you were like i just got this book about making paninis i'm so excited to start making paninis and you not you've not once made a panini in three years that's what i do this podcast i tried i was trying to start this podcast for like about five years at least i mean seriously talking about it for years so it's a miracle that this is even happening you also had your you also got a sauteing one never seen you saute anything Yes, yes. Okay, we have established that I am a slack ass. It takes me forever to do anything. I overthink everything to death. No, we've established that you don't cook anything ever. I don't cook any nowadays. I never cook anything anymore. And I had this uh, weird mystic connection with Sarma 12 years ago. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, like, think about it. Like, if I had gone to New York and, like, if I had lived in New York or something and I had gone down to the pure food thing, and then she probably would have been like, hey, what's your name, stranger? And then that could have saved her life, you know? Like, if I had just walked into to, uh, Pure Food and Wine, then none of this ever would have happened. So I feel a little bit responsible. No, actually, if she had decided to um, break up with her boyfriend that she was cheating on, essentially, with Alec Baldwin and actually get together with him, this would have never happened. You're right. 
if only she had gotten together with Alec Baldwin, everything would have been fine. Like, if Sarma had married Alec Baldwin, like, her whole life would have been different. There would still be pure food and wine. All of her employees would still have the uh, the job of their dreams. She wouldn't have gone to jail. And Alec Baldwin probably wouldn't have shot somebody by accident because something would have changed. He might have not been doing that movie because we would have been, like, on vacation with Sarma. Oh Alec, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not trying to make light of a terrible thing. So just to give a little background on what we're actually talking about here, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> so like, she, she has everything, and then she meets, she just meets this crazy guy, and it ruins her whole life. Yeah. All the women out there going like, Same. But she, <laughs> she gets everything that she has in the beginning because she basically just, like, networks and uses herself as like the the drawing factor like the why why would you want to get involved with this like she uses the fact that she has connections and she has money and she's supposedly attractive to sort of like work her way up to the top of this raw food empire in new york um yeah the the background is which i always did think like the second i saw the the books or two books and the first one was with her and matthew i forget his last name um but her uh It was this guy, basically, she was like this, you know, just rich white girl, from what I can tell, um, who just basically, she went to, um, where'd you go to school? She got like- Didn't she go to Vassar? Not Vassar, I don't think, but it was, um, but it was kind of like an Ivy League-y kind of place, and she got a degree in like economics or something, and- um, and then she got a job like in investment banking. And then she decided, you know what? What I'm really into is cooking. So like in the documentary, she's like, you know, after graduation, you know, after I quit the job, I wasn't under any financial pressure really to have to have a job. So I decided to go to culinary school. And I'm like, wow, how nice for you. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, <laughs> being in my mid-20s and going like, hmm, I really should like move to New York, I guess, since I'm a writer and a musician. Uh, that's what would make sense. But I, you know, if I stay in my nice town that I'm in, I can like live like a decent human being or I can move to New York and live like in a in like a rat hole and starve to death and have to work 70 hours a week and not have any time to play any music or write anything because that's what people who aren't born with shitloads of money have to do. Um, so she went to culinary school. She went and- to um, Wharton. Wharton. Okay. Yeah. After she went to the University of Pennsylvania for a BS in economics. Okay. And then when she she quit her job like investment banking, right? And then she went to um, culinary school, someplace good. Again. Right. She went to like some uh, New York's French Culinary Institute. Okay. Right. So she could just kind of like not work and go to some like pay a ton of tuition or whatever, and you know, and do that. So yeah, that's good. She, at that time, she was working at a. Um, she just uh, gotten a job working at a investment fund at CIBC, and then she, I guess, left that to go to. She quit to go French to culinary, culinary. School, right? So that's cool. Follow your heart, you know. Right on. I don't mean to sound too resentful about you know just you know people with money versus people people that don't get to be artists because they don't have any money, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is always a frustration for anybody that is in that position, you know. Um, but anyway, so she could follow her heart, so that's great. And then she got together with Matthew, what's his name, who was Matthew like, Kenny. Matthew Kenny, right. Okay, so he was like pretty much like a, a total star at that point anyway. And then um, she she got to go like become a partner with him because they became romantic partners. So, you know, again, her looks and whatever basically completely shoot her in the door to like so now like looks and money together have shoot her in the door to being basically a total star at this point and then she got in there and her and Matthew weren't getting along so much so well after a while and they were going to break up and one of them had to go they tried to work for a while together wasn't working out one of them had to go and the guy the investor Jeffrey uh, Combs is that his name that's no I think you're thinking of the fantastic uh, legendary Star Trek actor oh Um, (laughs) Right, I was just reading. It's Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Chodoro. Jeffrey Chodoro. Jeffrey Chodoro, not Combs. Star Trek fans out there, like, hooray! Jeffrey Chodoro had had to make the decision, basically, of who are we going to keep and who are we going to get rid of. And despite the fact that um, Matthew was the one that did all of the cooking and basically was like the the drive the like drive behind the restaurant Started they decided the to his keep, restaurant basically yeah it was his recipes it was his sort of like you know 
pet project thing, and the Jeffrey guy decided to go with Sarma. Right. Because he said... For no reason. What he said in the documentary was like, you know, Matthew's like a genius cook and everything, but he wasn't always the best businessman. So I decided to go with Sarma. And I'm sure it had nothing to do with anything else. You know, we can't, you know, these allegations cannot be proven, but, you know, it's It's one of those things. It's just the fact that she would be a better face. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. And she is a good face. I mean, but he was a good face, too. He was like this really handsome... Uh, young and young guy too, but you know, together they were great. But if you're going to go with just one, I guess she was selling more, you know. And the the cover of the so then the second book, the first book is a cover of them together, you know, sexy young couple, and the second book is just her, like kind of like filleting some piece of fruit or something, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, so then and then she also starts one lucky duck, which is the um, because again back then, you know. You couldn't just go buy all this stuff. So, you know, so it turns into this huge business. They're selling all these books. The, the restaurant, Pure Food and Wine, is making tons of money. They have this beautiful balcony, right. you know, garden patio thing in the middle of New York. And one then... Thing, well, one thing that's <laughs> important to mention that um, is sort of a key point later on is that the investor guy, uh, Jeffrey, loans Sarma the $2 million so that she can buy the restaurant. Well, Matthew's half of the restaurant from him to buy him out. So that's like held over her. I mean, he ends. she ends up totally screwing him over. That's when he loans her two million dollars is so that she can buy him out of the restaurant. By Matthew. By Matthew. Right. And then so from that point forward, though, he is like ridiculously patient over the course of years and years and years and years. Yeah, way he's too so patient. patient. Like he's she's like, just like trying to get him money whenever she can, and he's like, "It's okay, don't worry about it, don't worry about it." Like the guy's like in love with her or something, and just not acting like a businessman, or at the very least, to you know, maybe he's just a great guy, and he just like he's like the dream guy, the, the dream investor, because he like really believes in her, really believes in the thing, and he's just like a friend. But it seems personal. Like he's he picks her over Matthew, which is kind of a massive dick move. If you, they didn't they didn't really frame it that way in the documentary, but basically she goes in there and basically steals his recipes yeah. and his food, and the investor basically just like it's sort of alluded to because they don't he doesn't say like this the documentary sort of just leaves it at that. Like he, said he Matthew says was like shocked. oh I, picked. I remember that like yeah Matthew he, was shocked at the decision. Yeah and he was like well and I at the end of the day I picked Sarma and then it was like there was like this little pause and then it like went back to the next storyline. Right. So 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 then everything's great. Sarma's on top of the world. Despite um, being the fact the fact that she's now in two million dollars in debt. Right. But she's got, you know, she has this massively successful business and she's like a superstar now um but despite all of that cue melodramatic music you know she's really not that happy she's lonely she has a dog who she loves too much maybe oh wait wait wait, wait. hold on hold on we're we're going we're, we're missing all the little good nuggets of this story um she alec baldwin starts coming to the restaurant And she gets this whole relationship going with him. And they both clearly are into each other, but they're both, I mean, I think he's He's married. particularly into her. Yeah. He, like, is really, and and not just, like, everybody's there. Like, Owen Wilson is always there. Yeah. Bill Clinton's in there sometimes. Like, this is, like, you know, it's just, like, the hot spot. Yeah. And Alec Baldwin is, like, he's just hanging out there, which I always think is so weird since I've never lived in New York or even been there as an adult. I've only spent any time there once when my mother took me there when I was like 11 um, on like a trip that turned out to be actually that the whole thing was like to get me to like see a psychiatrist friend of hers and have (laughs) sessions. (laughs) But that's a different story. Um, But I've always find it so weird, this New York thing. Like, so if you just like went in there to get to like, to get your juice there, like Alec Baldwin would just be like, oh, there's Alec Baldwin just sitting there. That's so strange yeah. to me. But that's apparently what he did. He just hung out there all the time because he was like in love with Sarma. But she, she like kind of blew him off, right? I think she kind of... Well, she was interested in him too, but then um, they. it seems like they probably had like a thing. Like, you know, one of those like things that people are like, oh, we're, 
like we have other partners, but we realize that they like we don't we don't get along with them, so we're gonna like have this little flirty thing. It seemed like going kind on. of like an emotional, yeah, like a like a it was an interest. It seemed like I'm not exactly sure what the details are, and they didn't go into too much in the documentary. Yeah, but I mean, there was certainly um, an interest, in this interview, and Sarma her, says that end. she was in love with Alec Baldwin in 2010. But she, so. but then she blew him off anyway. They said something about that, right? Where it was yeah. really kind of her. It sounded like he was kind of willing. He wasn't married at the time, I don't think. He was and, dating somebody, though. They were both seeing somebody else. Oh, okay. And then he ends up meeting his wife at the restaurant, his now wife. Right. He meets that. He meets her instead and marries her instead. And then Sarma goes on to somehow get involved with this guy who, who it's revealed, you know, I mean— it doesn't even have to be revealed. It's like the well, second he comes on the screen, you just look at the guy and you're like, well, this is a con man. But we're still not even quite there yet okay. in the story. So she, the whole Alec Baldwin thing doesn't work out, which it seems like they should have ended up together because they were both interested in each other. And Sarma apparently told Alec Baldwin, he was like, I'm looking for somebody special to be in my life. And she's like, why don't you adopt a dog? Alec Baldwin suggested the dog thing. Did he? No, or? she suggested the dog thing. He oh. said, I want somebody special in my life. And she said, why don't you adopt a dog? Oh, and he's like, sort that's of blowing not what I meant. Off. And so then she, like, somehow she thinks that, that it was like, oh, it was his idea. Because she talks about it being his idea, but she's the one that suggests it. Hmm. And she ends up do- adopting her dog, Leon. And it starts to seem more and more like... She's you know, a bit unstable. You start to get the sense of her. She starts to remind me at this point of lots of people that I've known, which is this sort of like... Um, particularly a sort of new agey kind of a new agey neo spiritual girl kind of thing that you know we've all known these these guys who just like she believes in cosmic connections and it's a sort of loosely like this kind of patchwork religion patchwork spirituality thing of just like you know everything happens for a reason um there's a lot of people like that in the world who kind of you know i don't know what her deal is exactly but you do start to get the sense that she's you know it's this sort of like mysticism uh fatalism thing uh magical thinking i guess you know which which we all do to some extent you and i are very much like that to some extent where we like you know like anybody who talks about like there's no normal people kind of talk about like you know oh it's a sign and you might even be kind of oddly superstitious like I am about certain things and well you know I'm very compulsive too so it's like you know I, I get kind of weird and magical thinking is sort of like there's a very fine line between like mental illness and magical thinking that kind of Amelie thing <laughs> you know but <laughs> this woman you start to get the sense that. You know, things are things are over the line and she's ripe for somebody like this guy who comes along to exploit that, as she would say. Well, but we'll just, we'll just let the reader just we, <laughs> interpret. I mean, we we started to notice pretty early in the documentary that she is naive. I mean, about everything like the whole, oh, you know, it's a sign that I have to get this dog because Al, of like because of my relationship with Alec Baldwin. And then that's how she ends up meeting the guy Anthony is because Anthony she meets him on Twitter and he's interacting with Alec Baldwin and that's why and so she thought that they were friends and they somehow knew each other and she goes oh she literally says something like I just felt like it was like some it was just that a like sign a fateful thing. it was a fateful thing that I met this guy and he's so great on on Twitter and right. it, he knows Alec and I know Alec and like we're just meant to be and it's easy to think like that her and Alec think maybe they're gonna have something going on but it doesn't work out but then he meets his wife in her restaurant and then she meets her soulmate through Alec so which it's is literally fate. exactly what she says it's fate or it's coincidence also it may be that you know because he's associated on Twitter with Alec Baldwin it gives him this cred. So she takes him seriously and he comes in and this becomes important later when you start to realize that this guy is actually a con- major just a total con, con man from like, you know, and, and it turns out, I love everybody's when you realize that he's been married before to like, he's just like living like in a trailer in Florida, married to some woman and does exactly the same thing. Just this. So yeah. this is, okay. So we get into this guy, his name, when she meets him, she thinks his name is Shane Fox. That's what he tells her at first. It's Shane Fox. <laughs> right. Later, it turns out his name's actually Anthony Sturgis, I think. Yeah. Um, he's not even who he says he is, but she, te- you know, he tells her he won't really talk about anything, but basically you get the impression he's like a black ops CIA agent. Well, he says things like, 
I, you should like, it's better if you don't even know. It's more dangerous if I tell you, like, there's, I, if somebody approached me on the internet and was like telling me that story, I would be like, no, this is, there's no way. Like, somebody who, you have to think about this slightly logically, like, somebody who is that high up in the government and knows that much stuff is not going to be the one saying i, I can't God, tell you anything it's, it's like that old secret. episode of cheers <laughs> where the guy like the there's this eric finch this board is that his name? i think it's eric finch he's this bored rich guy who just like <laughs> he's just bored so he goes into cheers he just goes into a bar one night uh on christmas like christmas eve or something and he just goes in there and he he's just like having fun so he goes to and like carla the waitress comes up and he says well i i I wouldn't want to, to be careful around here. I wouldn't want to misplace my code book. Oops. Oh, darn. I've let that slip. And she's like, are you some sort of spy? And he's like, oh, I can't talk about it. Really? Really? No, don't let me. I can't. You know, and just like pretending to, it's like, you just like, let, he mentions like his code book. And then he mentions something about like, like, uh, a mission he was recently on. And then Diane, Diane Chambers is like the only one there who knows anything about anything. So he's, <laughs> so she's immediately spots all his bullshit. But like, that's what this guy is. Like he starts talking about like being a black ops agent and being in the CIA and not being able to talk about anything. And Sarma just like kind of falls for it immediately. But also he, you know, he like drives fancy, he drives a fancy car and he buys all kinds of fancy. So he has somehow, he has access to a certain amount of like resources and money, but it kind of looks like in the end that probably it's just like an investment. Like he's like renting an expensive car for an afternoon and like renting a Rolex to show up and act like a high but roller it's also to con his, somebody. Um, in the end, we find out it's about his gambling. So he could have had like, you know, oh, I just want all this money. I'm going to go buy a Rolex. Then I'm going to go return it. And then I'm going to go, you know, gamble that right. money. He's like actually like a lifelong serious gambling addict. And his father was also like an alcoholic gambling yeah. addict. And he was a cop too. His dad was a cop. His dad was, right. So he has this whole history. His dad was a cop. I forgot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when he like when he got in trouble with the law, like there was nothing. He was, his dad like dealt with it and everything. So he has this long history. Basically like, you know, um, he's uh, he has a total he has a, a crippling gambling addiction, probably what looks like an alcohol addiction and possibly. I mean, Certainly, extremely mentally ill. Oh yeah, you which know? they don't cover and, at all. Yeah, and that's what <laughs> they, the I definitely want to get to. So I'm just, you know, like, so we're like kind of laying out the facts of the thing. But like you started to get into it a second ago, like, like you know, like when you immediately when you start talking about this, you want to jump in and go like, "What is wrong with you? How would you think this made any sense if somebody came up to me on the internet?" But like. That's the thing. That's where all the directions are headed. We got to talk about is like what, and that's what everybody that, that watches this movie. The question becomes, whose fault is it? Where does the accountability lie? Is it you know how accountable is Sarma? She definitely got conned by a crazy abusive guy, but she also you know we realize in the end she also embezzled millions of dollars from her company and like ruined the lives of everyone around her and ended up going on the lamb and having to go to jail. Um, so there, she did do things that you can't do, but she had somebody abusing her. So it's complicated and very interesting. And in that way, it's also interesting how much accountability is there for the guy. I mean, he's obviously like the perpetrator and the one with all the intent, but at the same time, he's also clearly mentally ill and a victim of like, of all kinds of like substance abuse problems and gambling addiction and probably abuse at the hands of his father, it looks like almost certainly. Of course, he's a man, so who gives a fuck? Right? I would argue <laughs> that both have to have some sort of mental illness because there's just, we we kept watching it and there kept, there was all these things and I was like, why would you think that that's, I mean, from the start, like when, when he finally comes to New York to see her after they've been talking for however long, um, he immediately like doesn't look like his pictures. He's like all different. He's like not wanting to see her. He's not, he's like being all like sort of avoiding her. And that like right away would be like, if I had come to visit you and 
you were like you were like 500 pounds and were bald and you were like oh like i sorry like i'm supposed to come meet you today but i'm super busy she said in the documentary like when he showed up he was like way heavier than his than her than his picture. Yeah. So right away, but she it doesn't matter because she's already like kind of under his under she's like under the spell and she's already kind of under his thumb too. He's like already got this this hold on her somehow. But at that point, it can't be that. It, I I think as, as a woman, I don't think that there could be any that guy. You know, I'm not even making any personal judgments here, okay? But I think empirically, you can look at this woman from the outside and you can say she's like. From the outside on paper, a pretty good catch, you know? She's like, everybody considers her to be beautiful. She's rich. She's famous. She's hip. All these things. And this guy comes along who she, the way she describes him is overweight, not particularly attractive, uh, mean, (laughs) and weird, and crazy. Like, she basically meets a, a mean, weird, overweight guy on the internet and starts online dating some it's so weird to think of um it's like could would you see like alec alec baldwin what if like alec baldwin got involved like like sort of like online chatting with some girl in a trailer park in arkansas and ended up like getting trapped in an abusive relationship with her and i say this it sounds like a joke and haha and everything but like it's because to me you know i i'm just so tired of listening to people excuse themselves from accountability this is just like the way things are now all the time, right? It's like, you know, yeah, I did this and this and this and this, but, you know, it's all explained away by this. Like this person made me do these things. No, they didn't make you do and it. And none At of it same, was your fault. And none of it is your fault. No matter what. Even because, if you were like, yes, I want to help you embezzle millions of dollars, it's still not your fault. I mean, seriously, with some people, I wonder, you know, like... <laughs> This movie is interesting to me because normally I am the first guy to say, uh, you know, no, I'm afraid you are accountable. Like I, I, that's, that's one of my favorite things to do is to, is to like hold people accountable for their bullshit because all people do is not take responsibility for their actions because they explain it away based on their trauma, you know, or whatever it is. And a lot of times it's like, like, come on, who doesn't have trauma? Who doesn't have that excuse? <laughs> But at the same time, this movie, this documentary is interesting to me because I do, I have sympathy for both sides, though, because she is legitimately in an abusive relationship. And the dynamics that she, this, a lot of, watching a lot of this movie was actually, you know, was kind of uncomfortable for me in a lot of places because it is such an in-depth, you know, it, you do get a description of like, ah, that just, that dynamic um, with a partner who is... If you've ever had a partner, uh, and you and I both have, (laughs) you know, even though we don't like to think about this and it's just slowly dissipating into the realm of shadow, but, you know, if you've ever had a partner who, who really has sort of manipulated you, um, through, there's so many subtle ways that this partner's not even the right word. I don't like that. (laughs) So I'm just using that as a sort of general catch all. Um, but you know, really, yeah, abuser is a better word. Um, you know, and these people, the, you know, though, the way that it is very subtle, like at the end of my experience with that and probably yours too, but certainly I'll speak for myself, you know, at the end of my experience that, you know, I really had to deal with some real, really grapple with some, some bad feelings about myself. Basically it comes down to the question, you know, how, why would I let someone treat me like that? How did I, how did that happen? How did I let, what is wrong with me that I would let somebody treat me like that for so long? And there's a lot of people who can relate to that question. And before that relationship, I never understood that. And I had absolutely no sympathy for that. Like essentially, sorry for the insensitive term, but the kind of battered wife syndrome of like a man beats the crap out of his wife and calls the police and then the police show up and then the woman like, charges the police and attacks them and says, you know, leave him alone. He's a good man. He loves me. <laughs> you know, like chasing the cops down the road, beating the cops with a baseball bat to try to defend the man who just was just beating her. I never understood that. But like, you know, if you've ever been through a relationship like this, you do, you begin to understand exactly what that's about. And it is very, it is a very real thing. The kind of weird manipulation of, you know, 
like somebody just taking everything away from you until you until you're kind of nothing and you're just left just like a dog begging for a bone any kind of scrap of like just like of of anything it's sort of like that game that you play you know with little kids where you like steal their nose and you go, I got your nose and then the, the, like a little kid will start like screaming and crying terrified first of all because they're convinced that you stole their nose they know that. And the second thing they know is the only person who can give them their nose back is is, is you. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I like that analogy. It's like when you're in a relationship with that person, like first of all, you have to figure, it's sort of like the analogy is for like your self-respect or whatever. You know, they take it away from you and they're the only ones that can give it back because they took it because you've granted them that power on some level. And because you've granted them the power over you and your self-worth, then you're desperate for them to give it back and you're grateful to them if they give you anything. That It's like that's how Stockholm Syndrome works and all that stuff where somebody kidnaps you and you begin to be grateful for them. You know, thank you so much for not beating the crap out of me today. Mm-hmm. You know, you really can feel grateful and even, and even you know, lucky. <laughs> you really can feel grateful to not be getting abused that day and you can confuse not getting abused in that moment with love and warmth and all these things so i actually can absolutely like like people there's a lot of people talking about this film out there saying you know like what the fuck is wrong with this stupid woman how could you let somebody treat you like that what an idiot so i do actually see when she talks about how all this happened you know i do actually you know believe a lot of that she was in an abusive relationship and it can make you can just turn you into it can she well you can really see it in her too that this guy completely broke her and she well, is just she's a disaster by the end for some yeah. reason took of her in the hotel room when he's trying mm-hmm. to get her to get up and go yeah get dressed so they can like flee to the next but <sighs> yeah it's almost like he's documenting that on purpose for a weird reason but i can understand that thing of being just broken like that you know you know, I feel like I've been there. I get it. However, let me just say, if I had embezzled $2 million because of this person, I would have to say that that was my fault. Like, I never went out and killed somebody or did something. You know, I betrayed myself on a million levels. But I didn't go out there and do something. I could never be made to do something that was that unethical and if i did i if i did i would i mean i have compromised myself on plenty of levels but i hold myself responsible like i said before you know the question how would i let somebody treat me like this how could i ever let somebody treat me like that there's something like important about that language like how could i let somebody do this to me how would i become this person and sarma all the way through the documentary it's just like he made me do it he made me do it you don't get any sense just a couple of tiny moments where she says where she expresses the slightest amount of responsibility which is always pulled out of her by the interviewer who will ask her a very direct question like why when you were on the run would you have given somebody a false name if you didn't think that you were on the run yeah. Or like, why would you, you know, embezzle money from the the guy who helped you buy your half of the restaurant? He actually does actually call but, her on some stuff. Finally, which she just deflects. But <laughs> I just for this, I mean, all documentaries are subjective. And there's like, obviously, like I just read something that like she got paid a bunch by Netflix for this documentary. She was in it and the guy wasn't in it. Um, and everything is going to be sort of warped. It's not a totally reliable story, but I just like, I think, I feel like in a lot of instances where you're like, how could this have happened? It's because it starts out as something different and it feels like, oh, this is good. But then it ends up being something like then over time, very slowly you get chipped away and then you're doing things that, that aren't you. But in this story, I don't ever get that she that it was ever good like she was never happy she was never like she never saw at least the way that she talks about it herself which it's already very one-sided because we're only getting her side of the story but just the way that she talks about it in her own words it doesn't sound like she like I I don't feel bad for her (laughs) at all I mean maybe at the very very end when she at that point has no absolutely no choice I mean always she has a choice but 
I'm sure at that point she felt like she had absolutely no choice but to just run through like go to Pigeon Forge and <laughs> live at a hotel and become friends with a guy working at a Chipotle like at that point you're like gosh you know she has really just messed her life up but she still has to be held accountable for that and she and really isn't you know? No, she's not. And not she really. doesn't she went to like jail for four months, but that's yeah. it. Four months. And the way but the way that she talks about their relationship in the beginning, the way that it escalates so quickly into him being like, oh, can you make a transfer tonight for like ten thousand um, dollars? I will like I- I'm going to like tell this. I'm going to like tell the higher ups that like you're slowly getting closer to being an immortal being. And so is your dog like I'm sorry, but what the fuck? Like that's when it really I, goes off the rails. If I met like if if when I met you, and you and you came to see me, and you didn't look anything like the like hundreds of pictures that you had been sending me, and that we had been exchanging, and you were totally different and totally sketchy. The way th- this is how she describes it. If you were like that. First of all, I would probably just been like, sorry, this is just I like my morals are like, I don't want to be around. I don't want to even try to get involved with something like that. But then if like a month into it, you were like, oh, I need you to wire me five thousand dollars and I can't tell you about my job, but I work as like a black ops guy. But like, it's better if you don't know, like, where is the where is the thing that she grabs hold of to be like? This is like, I will only be happy. Like he's my savior. My life will not be content without him. Like he's integral to like my life path, which (laughs) she seems to be one of those people. Well, like I don't see that at all. It doesn't come across at all. That's why I'm like, it's so hard to feel bad for her because you don't ever see like, oh, they're so happy. Like then like what they get married eventually and she's like, oh, like it's after he gets in trouble for some money thing and she's like oh well if we get married like he says like well if we get married we won't have to like i won't have to do something with this money thing like it's just none of it is romantic none of it, none of it is like i well, could see like, why you would feel like this is you know maybe this is like, worthwhile like if they had if there was you know they talked like online or whatever texting or whatever for a long for a while i guess so like you and I started off that way too. So you can imagine they have a real bond there, even though I would have to think that there should have been, there would have been, you know, a lot of clues even then about a person's personality. Like well, anybody who could end up that... acting like that. Like, for, like you know, I describe, I mean, that's, again, it's like people holding yourself responsible. Like I'm, t- I was talking about my, you know, my shadowy abusive <laughs> past but i hold myself responsible for knowing exactly what i was getting into however you know also being in over my head and not knowing not knowing how bad that it could actually be but definitely lots of red flags lots of warnings should have known better did know better uh and just went ahead anyway and then got sucked into this vortex way worse than you ever thought possible and then you're sucked into it and it's like that gambling thing which this guy would know about, which is like, you know, you decide to sit down one night to play, you know, to play blackjack and you start losing money and eventually you're like losing money you can't afford to lose and you've lost so much. There's a saying in poker, like the money in the pot is not yours. It's already gone because what happens is you've already, I've already put all this money in. I have to win now. I have to win. If I can win the next hand, then I haven't lost, but you have already lost. Well, that's literally, in her case, that is what happens at the end. She's sent him, like, over what? It was, like, $14 million or something? Like, an outrageous amount of money over the years, over however many years this is, like, he calls it's her like up seven million at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he's like, you have to wire me $5,000. And he says things if like, you don't you have do to... this, my the higher-ups are not going to allow you to and be... he's talking about, like, the family. He's like, the family. He just says all this stuff that doesn't make any sense. He talks about, like, the family. It's, just, it's very much like cult leader talk like you have to prove his whole thing with her is constantly like you know you're doing so great but you have to prove yourself still and you're getting so close just keep going don't question me the whole thing is like don't question me don't question the powers that are hanging over us i'm telling you you have to pass a series of tests and then you'll be found 
Uh, then you'll be found to be worthy, What's and then we'll live forever in paradise. And the dog, literally, the dog is going to live forever, yeah, it's and just we are like going those, to be happy um, and everything. And this woman is just like the kind of woman who ends up in a cult. Yeah, it's just like you know? those televangelist people, like that one amazing episode of John Oliver, where he's like, there are these people who just do like they they get in trouble because they end up spending all of the money that they get on like private jets and stuff, and so he sends them the letter. Um, and they're like, send us a dollar and we will send it back to you. And like he sends them a dollar and then they don't send him the dollar back. They send him like a little card with some like flags on it. And they're like, send us five dollars and we will sit like um, you're like God will be looking down at you. And then he ended up sending them like over because it's a joke. I mean, it's the HBO pays for all this stuff. But he sends them like five hundred dollars and all he ends up getting is like a bag of like a bag of sand and like some weird flags and like all these letters and there's just, you just don't get anything back. <laughs> oh my but, God. Um, th- it's just sad. The thing like probably the worst thing that she does arguably in the, the movie is when she screws over her investor guy, the guy that helped her, by the restaurant. Jeffrey Combs from yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> the, and that, that I mean, it, to give her some credit and to back up what you're saying about how, well, you know, you just you just do this and this and this and then you're stuck in it. Like, that, she does, she doesn't do that right off the bat. That's like a last ditch effort. Like, right before they go on the lam, she does that. And that's after sending him, however, $7 million or something. That part is really so bad. She, like, intentionally it, defrauds that him That is the that absolute point. worst thing she does. Like, him, um, so she and Anthony, that's his name, right? Yeah. Yeah, they come up with this plan. They have to have been in on it. They say, oh, there's this big investor who's going to buy out part of the restaurant. And his name is blah, blah, blah. But it's actually and he's Anthony. Gonna meet, yeah, and he's going to meet you. And then he, they're like, oh, he can't meet you, but Sarma will go in his place. And it's a he complete was never, scam. Yeah, yeah, it's a total scam. And that is purpose. like, that is the worst thing she does by far, yeah. by far, because this guy has been for like how ten, 20 years, 10, 15, 20 years. He's been like, oh, he's been just letting pay her me, not just pay, pay me back the, the $2 million whenever, whenever you get you a chance. Can. Here's $50. You know? Is that OK? Like she goes and spends like a million dollars on a vacation with Anthony and then, you know, like at casinos and stuff yeah. and then comes and gives her investor like 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 three thousand he's like he's like yeah it's fine but that i mean he's like a life he's a lifelong friend he's a supporter like the guy that basically allowed her to have yeah. the restaurant and then finally he's had it at that point because then when she does when the the law finally catches up to her and her defense team like try asks him if he'll if he'll uh testify as a character witness for her he's and, like, he, and no. he's like sorry which no nope. fucking good for him yeah i was just gonna say following up on what you were saying about how you can get into a situation where you know everything that you're doing is wrong, but you don't have any choice. That, I feel like that is the point that she reaches where she, like, just has crossed the line. And she, if yeah. she because she did that, she has to have in some way been, you know, groomed and abused by this guy into being her money lender, basically. I mean, she is groomed and she is abused, but that doesn't absolve her of responsibility no not at all you know but and that, that's that's I mean, sort of the, why the film defrauding is her close friend is a point where if you do that you have no moral character whatsoever like you said you you said you were in a situation but you would a bad situation but you would have never gone out and killed somebody i did you know pretty much abandon everyone that i knew in my life you know because this is what people like this require of you they have to be the only thing and they become just a black hole of need. Well, if you do love somebody, then you are their only thing. Well, that's what I am with you. Yeah, except except when it becomes there's 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 good sacrifices that you make in a loving relationship, and there's bad sacrifices, and some sacrifices you can't make because that's not actually love. It becomes unhealthy at that point, of course. Like if I asked you to never talk to your mother again, that would be. That's not like, so. well, if you really love me, you should do it. That's no, that's not a healthy thing that you can ask somebody. I do feel bad for her, but at the same time, I feel bad like anytime I'm watching a movie about, you know, (laughs) I feel, I always feel, I feel bad for the bad guy when he finally, you know, is you know, shot in the back and trying to crawl away to get away. I'm like, oh, this is sad. You know, that's how I am. But the thing is, like, sorry, guys. I mean, we're living in a society here. People do more than four months in jail 
for like getting caught like with some weed, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, she embezzled millions of dollars. She stopped paying all of her employees until they all just had to walk out. People who are living in New York City and suddenly aren't getting paid out of nowhere with oh no warning. Oh my god, warning. they are so they I were mean, so mad. They were like like the one guy um who had been there for a really really long time since the beginning, he was like, "Look, I'm okay because, you know, he was he said sort of like gotten to a celebrity status working there um, and being around that crowd. But he was like, there are people who here who are now having to decide, like, can they feed their children or can they pay their, their yeah, utilities? people who are living paycheck to paycheck, basically. And, you know, like, I mean... Because, we, she, because she disappears. She literally disappears to go to Italy because she's like, oh, my brother... Because Anthony's like, my brother is going to meet you in Italy. This is your final test. You have to go. And she has so, to... All of a sudden, she flies to Italy she's alone. She's like, I had he tells to go to. to Italy. I had to go to the, on this vacation that was paid for. I had to go do this. So, I mean, it's a sad story that I can, like, I sympathize with her. And I, I do think it's it's very it's sort of sad and moving that she just was a lost, lonely soul. I think it's a you know, I think it's a great lesson in in how, you know, loneliness and sadness are not necessarily related to how much money you have or how famous you are. You know, people, normal, ordinary people all kind of have this vague fantasy of like of becoming rich and famous and then they're gonna be happy, you know, and of course that's not how it works. Here's a woman who literally had it all, which is why we're so interested, why people find this kind of story fascinating. She had it all. And she's And yet she was completely attractive. unhappy. And yeah, and she's supposedly attractive. Well, that's why, and I mean, she, you would never make this documentary about somebody who's like 500 pounds or like somebody who is not like conventionally considered attractive. Well, the, her being attractive, you know, uh, is is part of the story just like it was part of why what what her what was being sold in the first place Mm -hmm. but also it's because you know she was she was like this you know a star who had like an empire she was building and then it all fell apart And why was she a star that had an empire because she she was considered good looking and she had the resources yeah so she and and that's the thing too like by the end of the story where you know anthony is then also sucking money out of her family and she doesn't even realize that. And there's this, they just mention offhand, you know, yeah, and then my mother, I found out my mother had given him $300,000 or $500,000. I think it was $300,000. And I'm like, do you people understand? It literally was like, if I was like, dying and like, if I needed medical attention, I doubt my mom would send you $300,000. My <laughs> mother could not come up with $300,000 if her own life depended on it or my life. Like, like normal people do not have access to that. Again, I'm going back to Cheers again. You know, it's like when Woody starts dating uh, uh, Kelly, you know, this rich girl. And Kelly, she's like, Kelly, 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 Kelly. And he's like, I don't have any money. And she's like, that's okay. We'll just stop by your ATM on the way there. <laughs> he's like, he I goes, don't have No, it. you don't understand. I don't have it. And she's just like, well, can we go to your apartment then and get it? <laughs> Like, listen, when I say I don't have any money, I don't have any money, not in my bank, not under my pillow. And it's like this. Yeah, this woman came from all kinds of privilege, lots of privilege on all kinds of level. And she's she's just been living in a bubble her whole life, a bubble of privilege, but completely, you know, a sad, lost soul, just like the rest of us. Oh, what? Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, what makes her vulnerable to a guy like this? Who knows? You know, things are complicated. I do sympathize. I mean, I I guess all I can say is I sympathize, but you still have to be accountable to the things you do. And all the way through that film, you know, she just doesn't seem to hold herself that accountable. Well, like you her, said, they made the film that's completely biased in her direction. Yeah, it's her but she documentary. Feels, yeah, but <laughs> she like the media after her reaction to this documentary coming out, she's really unhappy. She feels like they made they were like kind of unfair to her. They made a lot of things like like one thing at the very end of the film, they play a phone call between her and Anthony, and it makes mm-hmm. it sound like they're see they're still talking now. They haven't learned anything. They're still in cahoots. They're going to get back together. And then she explained, like on her blog or something, like no, that conversation is from earlier. They completely took that out of context. But I would really, I before I made that judgment call on 
like I would need to know if did she immediately like was she able to see the documentary before it came out and then she made that post or did she did the documentary come out the the people who are like obsessive Netflix watchers like immediately watch it stream all of it and then write the reviews like this bitch is crazy and yeah, she like, probably wouldn't have been able to see it before it came out. Yeah. Probably. So how many reviews they paid came her. She out? She wasn't like a part of making it or anything. Right. How know? many reviews came out saying essentially what what I'm saying, not more than you're saying, but like she should have known better. But that's what and we should talk so, about. Yeah, the next did, subject how, is the, the that's part of why we want to talk about it is because the reactions, the audience's reaction, blaming her or not but, blaming her because she's a woman who got groomed. Right. But my question is. Like, I, I would like to know if there were those reviews already before or after she wrote her blog post saying, I'm not happy with it. It seems like Because it could have been the thing. Because like, cause those were like instantaneous. She did, I, th- I think they said uh, she did an eight-hour interview. The main interview with her, they have just done one, one set, one interview with her. I think it was eight hours long. So she they paid her to come in, do an eight-hour you know, filmed interview, multiple cameras, whatever. And she also, you know, supplied them with a lot of materials, you know, photographs, text messages between her and Anthony, videos, all kinds of stuff like that. But like, that's, that's it for her. She, you know, she, she communicates with them. She sets things up. She provides them with materials. She comes in and does a shoot and then she's out and she has no idea what kind of movie they're putting together. And then it comes out, you know, it's like, it's not like a, like a narrative film where you can read the script and get some sense of like what it's going to say. Right. I was just wondering even if that any... people get pissed about because yeah. they're like the script in the hands of like a, the wrong director ends up being the a wrong piece of producer, crap. the wrong editor. Yeah, totally. Like I just, I not to be like, you know, a skeptic, you know, I, I just feel like that writing being like, Oh, I don't like this documentary. I don't think it's like accurately portraying me has to be like she had to have been going into those interviews thinking this is going to be something good for me because yeah, well, i don't I think mean, that she would have the, the way she talks story. about it i don't think that she would have done it if she knew how it was going to end up probably not and also it out. is i mean you know i mean she feels like it made her look bad how do you think anthony feels i'm not defending him but i'm saying the whole thing it's like it's her film she's not even in it she gets to do an eight-hour interview to explain her side. Did she expect... It does really does seem like she expects to not be blamed at all. Oh, like, I'm yeah. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, but you don't, you don't get to just walk away. I'm sorry, you're going to look bad. Yeah. I mean, I sure as hell wouldn't want to do... You know, I mean, God. those And those text messages and conversation, everything, as damning as they are to him, are also damning to her because that's why everybody's like, What? Like somebody sent like exactly what you were saying. Like even before she ever even met him in real life, he's sending her texts that a normal a person with you know as the you know as some people would say to put it in this like you know therapy vocabulary would be you know, <laughs> someone with a healthy self esteem would probably not be vulnerable to such things. But you know as but we beyond know, healthy self esteem, just moral like like it's not moral compass, but like like two brain cells that work together to be able to to give you like a little uh like like i shouldn't like this is not this is not good it doesn't make sense yeah but like, the thing is with that and that's why that's why i think this is so interesting and is sort of like kind of pushing so many different like buttons for people out there is because living in the landscape that we're living in here in 2022 you know um <laughs> we are so used to like what you're saying right now, do you have two brain cells? Why would you fall for this? Which is what a lot of the people have said about her. I'm only saying that. <laughs> but we are always hearing, you know, like it's this constant refrain in society now where there's people just jumping in from the sidelines immediately to say like that is very problematic and you need to get educated. If, if the person, the subject is belongs to a select group of protected citizens at this point like if you're talking about certain people and you say you point out something wrong that they have done something that is unethical something that is illegal there are a lot of people who are who want to jump in very quickly and explain that this isn't really actually their fault because of this or this or this or this this list of excuses but those excuses don't work 
if you're a different kind of person. I don't even need to name groups or categories because everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's extremely tiresome. For example, Anthony clearly, you know, I mean, the guy, I mean, you know, you listen to these tapes. I don't think anybody can listen to these tapes and listen to the way he speaks to her and, and look at his text to her. I don't think anybody could could see these texts or hear these calls and be like, he seems all right. I mean, clearly the guy is extremely abusive. And very and mentally crazy. ill. And that's, that's the part that nobody they, they is saying. They don't talk about that, that at clearly, all. Like, there's no sympathy for this guy. Nobody's going like this guy is. But this, <laughs> what Sarma is doing is just as fucked up. But we feel bad for her because she's a woman and she's an attractive woman on top of that. And she's a white woman, a lot of people would say. I did read an article. Um, <laughs> was, there were several uh, articles that I read, like, 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 you know, black authors saying, like, man, if this isn't a film about white ass privilege, I don't know what is. You know, you're like, pretty white lady from, from Massachusetts, you just get away with anything. So it depends, like, what lens do you want to look at? It certainly, she has white privilege, she has, she has female privilege. And she has, uh, of course, wealth privilege. Right. And, and that's why that's why she has the documentary made about her in the first place. It's why she like, had a career in the first place, too. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, why are we not, like, again, you know, like, you know, I mean, again, it's, what I always come down to is, like, how far do we want to go, you know? If you, you know, we need to extend the premise, you know, you guys, you guys are, are the we... ones who made up these rules. So yeah. like, so if, if we're not going to hold her accountable because she got groomed by this guy, then let's not hold him accountable because he got fucked over by his dad. Right. You know, At, nothing's anybody's We're fault. always more, I mean, society is always more interested in, I mean, they can say all they want about how like, oh, women are strong, independent, just as equal as men, but Yet every time there's a story like this, the attention is always paid to the woman who is always sort of a, supposed to be placed as the victim in the situation. So that sort of goes against the idea that women are supposed to have complete agency and are just as equal as men. Well, that's I think if you had... the subject of this entire podcast, <laughs> which is that you can't have it both ways, lady. You you can't be. I mean, you can't you can't just call on equality when it's when it's convenient to you and then dismiss it when it's not like say when we're discussing the whether or not women should be drafted or <laughs> right you know you can't just like suddenly just opt out of accountability which is it are you a defenseless vulnerable creature who isn't able to even think for herself and can't make decisions or are you this are you the same as men or not but there's a there's a very weird with this story in particular and and I, maybe it's like a universal documentary thing um i've been thinking about documentary all day because it was brought up in my panel but um it's weird and unique to this because what if the roles were reversed and it was anthony who got tricked into sarma's facade basically i think that still I think even then, if a documentary was made about the situation, I think that it would be made focusing on Sarma instead of focusing on Anthony. I think that's that's interesting. Well, Sarma's because, the star. He's he's nobody, you know. Right, and right. So they but would I'm still just, concentrate I, on her. She's like the she's like the she's the no, star. No, I'm saying if all the, if their if like their entire roles were reversed, like he yeah. was the one. If he was Sarma and Sarma was Anthony. Oh, and like if she was she, the con. If she yeah, was like if she the, was the yeah. con artist, and he was just this like so, semi quasi celebrity in in New York. I think that they still would take this story, and they would be like, let's focus on the female character in it. I think that they would still have made the documentary about Sarma. And not about. I mean, well, not, I mean, sure. Should, like nobody, they would have to nobody include... is going to make a nobody's <laughs> going to make a documentary film these days that's going to actually make a woman look look bad. And see, a lot of people well, no, will no, probably no. hear I'm that just... and go like, "That's not true. That's not well, true." Well, I think it would be made in more of those like sensational, like wow, like this is this is like this is a crazy woman, and they would like t right. they would talk about the things that you and I finished that documentary wondering, like wishing that they would have talked about. When you make a do think... right, when you make a documentary about like. When, when these truths come out through documentary or news stories or whatever, where you go, look at this pile of fucking stupid women who became, look, 
this guy in California decides to be a cult leader and he goes, he goes, fellow women, age 13 to 20, come join my cult and have sex with me and worship me. And they go, okay. A uh, good example would be the uh, documentary we watched very recently on. Yeah, we've got to finish that. The Nexium cult. Yeah. I was going to bring up Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, 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 you mean that? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I oh, mean, Gazelle Maxwell, she was just as Gaz- just uh, what's her name now? Gazelle. Gazelle. Ghislaine, Ghislaine spelled Ma- like gazelle. Ghislaine, <laughs> Ghislaine, we've had too much wine. <laughs> Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, again, the documentary that they made about Jeffrey Epstein, who she was, she was dating him. She was the one that like helped pick out the girls to bring to him, and they didn't talk about hardly her. hardly accountable at all. Right. So she's I just, think it's that's not as why ba- she's accountable too, but not as much. It's not as bad. And that's the perfect. She's literally having <laughs> sex with these women. I mean, she, it's just as bad. Yeah. She's absolutely a ringleader. And not to mention now the she's fact, in jail, but not to mention the fact that like half of the girls became literally sex traffickers. They willingly, purposefully, consciously, intentionally, and gleefully trafficked underage girls into. <laughs> on purpose knowing what they were doing now yes they were underage some of them were very underage some, you do some have of them, to remember that. yeah so this is very complicated and you have to be careful about this but i'm sorry look you know when i was 17 years old or 16 or 15 or 14 for that matter i'm pretty sure when i was 13 i wouldn't have willingly fucking sex trafficked my friends it's like that episode but from that's the because new... i didn't get trafficked myself it's like that episode from the new season of curb your enthusiasm that just came out that we watched where larry hires that actor to play young young larry and he supposedly he won this lawsuit because um this hot older actress slept with him when he was 17 and Larry pulls out the picture in line when he's voting and he says he goes up to this guy and he was like when you were 17 if this woman wanted to sleep with you would you do it and he was like oh hell yeah <laughs> and he says something like if if that had happened to me they is that the line where he says he, if something says, had happened like, to me says, i would have they would have named the high school after yeah, me yeah he says oh the that's guy, the, fraser the, no no it's, it's oh. that the guy the, the the guy who 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 has, has this whole story of having been raped by this like 35 year old it's like basically he's like a 17 year old actor or something yeah or like 18 year old or maybe he's he might 17 be, when he's the 17 he's an actor and then like the equivalent of like Angelina Jolie comes along and seduces him and he has sex with him. And so he has this whole story about having been raped. Just basically he has the story that any woman would have. Like he me too's her. Somebody says to Larry, like, well, what would you have, what would have happened to you if you had, if, if, if you had slept with a 35 year old uh, superstar actress and he goes, they would have named the high school after me. <laughs> That's what would have happened. They would have, and that, and see, that is absolutely true. So stop fucking pretending that the genders are the same. Again, I say this constantly. Stop pretending. You know, I have talked to people, had real conversations in real life with real people who have literally said to me, like, you know, like talking about the story of like a 35-year-old teacher seducing a 16-year-old male student, female female teacher seducing a male student, and people literally saying, yeah, you know he, he loved that shit, though. Like, it's just not as bad. Raping a boy is just not as bad as raping a girl. Or it's just not even Unless rape in the first place because like boys know what they're doing. A 16-year-old boy knows what he's doing. Even a 13-year-old boy compared to a 13 It's just that's the lesson over and over again. Girls just have no idea what they're doing. They have no control. They have no accountability. They have no consciousness. Boys, men are accountable for every fucking thing they do. It reminds me of that really funny um, – <laughs> That really funny BuzzFeed article that I saw a couple months ago. Um, we had had like, I think we'd had a lot of wine that night <laughs> and we were getting ready for bed. And I just had opened the news app just to like, you know, kill time while you were washing your hands. And um, I saw this article that was like, it was something like 21 women ex- um, 21 women share their experiences in um abusive age gap relationships and i was like i was like "Ooh, i'm gonna read this because i'm in an age gap relationship and i don't think there's anything wrong with them so i'm gonna be all snooty and well they would just tell you you just don't think there's anything wrong because you literally there was this one and she was like 
I was 18 and I started dating a 21 year old and we dated <laughs> for three, we dated Fuck for three you. years and it wasn't until after we broke up that I realized he was abusing me and he had groomed me. I mean, me. yeah, you can just see, it's you like, can see <sighs> anything, you, you can see anything anyway. And if you have the entire world backing you up on your bullshit, how can you blame them? It's like a fucking little bag of heroin sitting next to you all the time. It's like, I'm trying to like, like trying to learn to be accountable when the entire world is going to help you feel like a defenseless, blameless victim all the time at the drop of a hat. It's impossible. You're never going to get away from it. It's like, it's like some guy, like, it's like if you're trying to quit drinking, you don't go hang out in a bar. You know, so if you're trying to become accountable, like don't go to college and don't go to any like indie coffee shops, I guess, you know, and don't watch any TV these days. I mean, you're fucked, basically. Like it's just like, the whole culture is just helping, you know, the entire culture is just enabling itself out of accountability, mm-hmm. you know, because the, on every level, constantly 5000 times a day, you know, I mean. Can't we all look back at our our history of relationships and feel and and like if we want to spin it that way, like I would look like I was saying earlier. I look back and I go, "What the fuck was I thinking? That was a fucked up thing to do. That was a mistake. That was a bad move. You know, there were red signs. You should have paid like- attention. And then every and then you could also look back at everything and just say, you know, and just if you if you're going to feel like somebody tricked you and manipulated. That's exactly what they did, but you still hold yourself accountable. Like, do you think right. that men don't get manipulated <laughs> by women? What were I we mean, you're a woman. About? Do you think women are manipulative and manipulate men? <laughs> yeah, I think that it's human nature to manipulate other people because in everyone's best interest at the end of the day is themselves. And you either learn to, like, in, in a very Vulcan sense, you either learn how to meditate that away to being like your the lowest need that you have in your inner self or you just let it control your life. Not a good Star Trek so, references tonight. I know I'm sort of on it. This is good. Um, uh, but I think like I think it's human nature nature to be narcissistic because it's like it's tied into that fight or flight thing where like. At the end of the day, we're just animals surviving on the earth. And so obviously, like, we come first in our, like, primordial, whatever, like, primate brain that we have. If you use that to control everybody around you, you're you're just really being the narcissistic queen of bitches. <laughs> and you're not you're not really thinking about other people at all. So Yeah, I, I've known lots of narcissistic queen of bitches, you know. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, like, like this really seems to be the belief that, that a lot of people have out there is like, you know, men are constantly everything, constantly we're grooming and manipulating you. You know, of course, it's very easy to see it that way if you want, you know, you could, I can, that's why, you know, men who despise women do the same thing. You know, you just blame women for everything that happens in your life. And just like you can blame it on women, you can blame it on not having any money. We've all known those people. We've all known those people who sit around just, you know, blaming, you know, poor people blaming rich people and men blaming women and women blaming men. But We're supposed to help each to... other, like, like become better people and grow the fuck up. Or you could just you know? live, you could literally, it's just so easy to just wake up in the morning and decide, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to do this day as another day on earth. And you don't have to think about that. You don't have to blame anybody. You can just go about your day as a human being on the planet earth. You're only here for a little bit of time. Yeah. I think Sarma would agree, you know? Yeah. She'd be like, I know. And that's why we wake up every morning and I thank the earth for giving me these amazing vegan foods, these vegetables that I can turn into my delectable, delightful, vegan, plant-based, fresh diets. Did we talk Bitch about crazy. that? Bitch crazy. So in conclusion, <laughs> bitch crazy. Bitch crazy.